Thank you for joining us here on the Radio Bible Course for our study of Paul's Epistle to the Galatians. Today we're continuing our study in chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 3, verse 15. Paul writes, To give a human example, brethren, no one annuls even a man's will, or adds to it, once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, which is Christ. We concluded yesterday's program by attempting to establish by the scriptures that God cannot lie. I read from Hebrews chapter 6, listen again to verse 17. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Hebrews chapter 6 is pointing out that when God made a promise to Abraham, he swore by himself. There was no greater name by which he could swear. That's how he tried to convince Abraham that he would do what he promised to do. I am amazed at this. Think of it. The only person who does not need to take an oath, because he does not lie and cannot lie, and that's God, he does take an oath. That's how desperately God wanted to convince Abraham that he would do what he promised to do. But I guess God took an oath because he knows how doubting we are. We who deal with men and walk among men know that all men are liars. The scriptures declare it, and we know it from experience. That's why when anyone gets on the witness stand, he is asked to take an oath, because men will lie and they do lie. Well, Hebrews chapter 6 tells us of two unchangeable things. God's promise won't change, and God's oath confirming it won't change. From verse 15, Paul leads right into verse 16, where he wants to show how positively accurate God's word is. He said, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, singular. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many people, but referring to one. And then he quotes and to your offspring, which is Christ. In this passage, Paul's view of Scripture is revealed. The inspiration of the Scripture, as well as the divine authority of the Word of God, extends even to the single letter. That's the point of the passage. Now, Jesus held the same view, for he, in Matthew chapter 5.18, said, for truly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not a jot nor a tittle will pass from the law until all be fulfilled. What's a jot? 
That refers to the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet, the iota. And the tittle, it's a dot, or a little mark, the stroke of a pen, that distinguishes one letter from another. Not one of those little strokes of a pen will pass from the law until all be fulfilled. What can we say about inspiration? Are the thoughts inspired, or are the words inspired? Which words? The paragraphs? The sentences? The clauses? Or the very words, or the letters in the words? Well, according to Galatians 3.16, even the letters in the words. What a difference one word can make. For example, is Jesus a Son of God, or the Son of God? Well, if he's a son of God, such as we are sons of God, then he's no different from us. But the Bible never calls him a son of God. It refers to him as the son of God, the unique son of God. He's different from everyone else. No one is like Jesus Christ. And yet all that is brought out by simply one word, the definite article in the Greek, which is no more than one Greek letter. Now, what's Paul's point in Galatians 3.16? It's this. The promise of blessing through the coming Savior given to Abraham, the man who is justified through faith, is not canceled by the giving of the law. And that, of course, brings verses 15 and 16 together. Paul is clearly pointing out that when God promised Abraham that He would bless him and his descendants. He was referring to one descendant primarily. That descendant is none other than Jesus Christ. Now, moving on to verse 17, Paul writes, This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance is by the law, it is no longer by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Paul here, we need to be reminded, is of course concerned about the influence of Jewish teachers on the Galatians. They were promoting the law. Paul is setting the record straight. He is telling them that God made a promise to Abraham, and that promise cannot be annulled. And just because the law came 430 years later does not mean that the covenant that God earlier made is no longer in effect. The Bible teaches us that the law was added to the promise, the promise made to Abraham, to show men their sins, but it did not replace the promise of salvation through the offspring of Abraham, who is Christ. There would be no Christian faith today if Paul had not won this argument by this clever debate here. He said, For if the inheritance is by the law, it is no longer by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Promises are important not only to Abraham, but to us also. Do you believe a promise? In Galatians chapter 4, Paul is going to write, Now, brethren, we, like 
Isaac are children of promise. You see, we get our salvation by believing a promise of God. He doesn't ask us to perform. He doesn't ask us to behave. He asks us to believe. Anything that God says is supposed to be believed because it's coming from the source of all truth. God cannot lie, and he expects that men will believe him, and woe unto those who won't believe him. They face the wrath of God, because by not believing God's promise, they imply that God is a liar or a deceiver. Paul points out in verse 18 that the basis of the inheritance, which is eternal life, is God's promise. Now, Paul expressed this in another way. In Romans chapter 4, verse 14, he said, If lawkeepers are heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. Friends, it has to be that way. We either get eternal life by a promise or we get it by works and by the law. Now we come to verses 19 and 20. But before we read that text, I think a summary is in order. Thus far in this chapter, Paul has demonstrated that men in the Old Testament were saved through faith, that the law did not save anyone. Instead, it cursed the one who failed to keep all of it. And the law did not nullify the promise given earlier to Abraham. Now, having expressed such strong conclusions about the law and the promise, Paul rightfully anticipates a question from his readers who have been led to believe that the law of Moses is of paramount importance to the believer's lifestyle. They may have wondered if the law had any purpose. Paul asks their question for them and, with his answer, provides critical information for our understanding of God's programs on earth. Now listen to Galatians 3:19 and 20. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was ordained by angels through an intermediary. Now verse 19 is significant. It teaches us, first of all, why the law was given. Secondly, it gives us the termination of the law's authority. There's that word till or until. Then, that something existed to which it was added. Now, let's deal with this first. To what was the law added? Well, the context tells us. As you study the Bible, concentrate on the context of a particular chapter. Disregard the verse numbers and ask yourself, what has Paul been discussing? Two things, the law and the promise. That promise was made in round numbers about 2,000 years before Jesus Christ was born. God made that promise to Abraham and he reaffirmed that promise with Isaac and then with Jacob. 430 years after confirming it with Jacob, the law was given. And that law, this verse tells us, was until Christ came. 
until the seed should come, and the seed has been identified in this chapter as Jesus Christ. Now, the law did not replace or nullify the promise. It was temporary. We see that because it says, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come. What does until mean? It means up to a certain point, but not thereafter. So it was temporary. But the promise that God made to Abraham was timeless. When God confirmed the promise to Abraham in Genesis 17, he emphasized its perpetuity. Listen to Genesis 17. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Notice the word everlasting several times in these passages. This is a permanent promise by God to Abraham. But the law was a temporary imposition. And in tomorrow's program... We're going to explain this further. Don't miss it. This is critical to your understanding of the Christian faith. Many people are trying to walk by the law. The New Testament teaches Christians to walk by the Spirit. If you are hearing teaching that is absolutely new to you, you will be interested in our tape course called Understanding the New Testament. It incorporates many of these teachings. Ask for our free list of teaching tapes. Till tomorrow, this is Nick Calavoda reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.